Hello and welcome to In the Word with Michelle Telfer. Thanks for joining us for this in-depth study of God's Word, the Bible. For more of Michelle's free resources, visit her website at intheword.com. And now, Michelle. Father God, thank you so much for bringing us together as you have and as I always ask. I pray that you would speak through your word to the glory of Christ's name. It is in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Last week in our first lesson, we heard God's voice to us in Psalm 139 and Psalm 23, and we came to realize that even in our times of greatest darkness and distress, God sees us. Our way is not hidden from him, for there is no place that we can go where God is not. I know that we would all far rather walk on the mountaintops of life, and yet truly the most fertile soil for growth is usually found in the valleys. David knew what it was to face those lowest points in life, but he knew that ultimately those places are not where we are to camp, for God will lead us through them if we put our trust in him as the shepherd of our souls. Each one of us is deeply loved by the Lord and he longs to guide us and draw us to his side if we would only let him. He will never leave us nor forsake us. However, that doesn't mean that our life will be easy. It doesn't mean that we'll never face hard circumstances or even fearful ones. For example, I now live in a place where tornadoes can occur These are wild, twisting winds that can pick up a whole house and all its contents and throw it clear across a field. And though I've yet to experience one, I know what it is to wake in the middle of the night to lightning flashing across my darkened room and loud claps of thunder directly overhead that are really so strong they rattle the windows almost to breaking point. Believe me when I say that the power of some storms can cause feelings of panic to rise in your chest, especially when they come at night. But there are all sorts of storms we have to face in life, aren't there? Sometimes the storm is a situation from which we see no escape. Sometimes it's the loss of something very dear, a loved one, a job, a home. Sometimes it's not knowing where your next meal will come from or if your children will have a safe place to sleep. All we can think to do in those circumstances is cry out to God in the desperate hope that he will somehow calm our fears and give us his protection. This has happened to me recently when someone I love was facing a most debilitating illness. Though they had sought help from many doctors and specialists, month after month passed with no hope of healing. It broke my heart. Even though I was not the one who suffered, I honestly would have given anything to see a change. Day after day, as I battled in prayer for their healing, I was drawn to the promises of Psalm 91, And it was there that I became aware of God's still quiet voice of reassurance in the midst of the hardship. I gained much comfort from using that particular psalm 
as part of my prayer time. And so I want us to look at this wonderful text of scripture together. We'll begin with just the first four verses. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely He will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with His feathers and under His wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. The psalmist speaks of those who dwell in the shelter of the Most High, which can also be translated as those who live in God's secret place. And he says that those individuals will rest in the protective shadow of the Almighty God. So my first thought then is, where is God's secret place and how do I get there? In the Old Testament era, God's presence dwelled in the innermost chamber of the temple in Jerusalem, known as the Holy of Holies. No one could enter that holy place except for the high priest, and he was only allowed to enter once each year, and never without the blood of a sacrifice to place on the mercy seat on the Ark of the Covenant. For that blood would atone for the people's sins and reconcile them to God. God's law made it clear that the price for each person's sin was death. But God in his mercy was willing to accept the blood of a sinless sacrifice in their stead. So the blood the high priest offered was that of a specially chosen, spotless, innocent lamb. Every year when the blood was offered, the people waited anxiously to hear the sound of the bells on the high priest's robe as he returned from the holy place. His return indicated that the offering had indeed been accepted and that God had forgiven them for another year. You see, even that pure sacrifice brought only a temporary solution. The sacrifice had to be repeated again and again, year after year, because the blood of animals could never permanently deal with the sins of the people. And all of this was just a picture of what Jesus Christ would come to do. He became that specially chosen, spotless sacrifice. He shed his blood on the cross in payment for our sin the innocent for the guilty, but his was a one-time sacrifice, never to be repeated. At the very moment that he died on the cross, scripture tells us that the thick, heavy curtain that separated the people from God's presence in that holy place was torn in two from top to bottom. God would no longer dwell in isolation from his people. Through his one perfect sacrifice, Christ made the secret place of God's presence available to all. Those who place their faith in Jesus Christ are covered by the blood of his perfect sacrifice and are able to stand before the throne of God clean and forgiven for all eternity. Unlike the high priest of old, who came into God's presence just once a year in fear and trembling, 
we can now boldly approach God's throne of grace any time because Christ has opened up a new and living way into the Father's presence for all those who trust in him. And it's there in God's presence that we find true rest and come under the protection of the Almighty God as pictured here in Psalm 91. But do you see we must dwell there in that secret place? We must spend time there, not just visit occasionally when we need something. We must make our home in him. And notice this is a personal thing for the psalmist. This isn't second-hand knowledge or borrowed experience. He says in verse 2, God is my refuge, not just a refuge. He is my fortress and my God in whom I trust. The secret place is a place of true relationship and intimacy. He knows us completely as we saw last week in Psalm 139. We get to know him more and more as we dwell there in his presence. And as we dwell in him, our trust grows. The psalmist then uses some rather poetic pictures to try to describe what life is like in the secret place. In verse 3, he mentions the fowler's snare and the pestilence. Both of these are images of hidden and unseen dangers, of the imminent threat of death. The hunter lays his traps and the plagues creep silently along both stalking their unsuspecting victims without mercy. But those sheltered in the secret place are kept safe from what would seek to destroy them. The psalmist paints two other pictures in verse 4. In the first part of the verse, he says, He will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. We're familiar with God describing himself as an eagle, bearing Israel on his strong wings. But how amazing it is that this same God, the king of the universe, will also allow us to even think of him as like a mother hen. But he wants us to understand that whenever we flee to him, he will enfold us with his protection and draw us close. Never was this picture more real to me than in my recent time of trial, for there in the secret place where I met with God in prayer, I imagined what it would be to be protected in the same way as a mother hen might embrace her chicks. I realized that under the shelter of her wing, it is a place of security, but it's also a place of softness, of loving warmth, and comfort as well, because that's where the frail, frightened chick can hear its mother's heartbeat. I don't know about you, but that's where I want to be with my God, close enough not only to feel his protection and love round about me, but in a place where his heartbeat will steady that of my own. In the last part of verse 4, the psalmist uses a completely different image to picture how safe we are. He writes, His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. 
We know what a shield is and what it does, but we may not be very familiar with a rampart. It's a wall of earth or stone raised around a city to defend it against the enemy's attacks. He is saying that God's faithfulness surrounds us and defends us. The scriptures are full of declarations of God's faithfulness to his people. They're everywhere. God's faithfulness means he cannot go back on his promises to his people. And we are all on unshakable ground when we stand on what the Lord has said. Our enemies have no defense against his faithfulness. They cannot breach the rampart. They cannot pierce the shield. He truly is our refuge and fortress. Now, I understand that there may be some of you listening who might protest. Michelle, that's just not true. I went through a terrible situation and I don't feel as if God protected me in this way at all. Well, can I just say that I understand and that there are often times in life when we have to go down a road that we would really far rather not. I know that many listening to me have been afflicted by troubles that are both painful and bitter, and I would never want to add to your sorrow or create more suffering. But my loving question to you and to all of us is this. Are we really seeking God in what we go through? wanting above all to know him and hear from him and live for him in the midst of it, or are we just seeking relief? In the beginning, yes, we want relief. We want things to get better. But when he doesn't seem to answer and when he seems to leave us abandoned in hard and dark circumstances, we so often give up and we quit asking. Oh, my friend, we just need to keep seeking him in the midst of our struggle, trusting that he has a purpose and that it is good, no matter how impossible that seems. And when we're able to do that, we will have God's comfort and peace, knowing that there is still a part of us, that immortal part deep within us that cannot be harmed by anything of this world. God himself tells us in the book of Hebrews, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? I promise you, those who turn to him desiring his will above all, will never be turned away. Let's go on in verses 5 through 10. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you say, the Lord is my refuge, and you make the Most High your dwelling, no harm will overtake you, no disaster will come near your tent. Notice the psalmist doesn't say that we won't encounter darkness or have to deal with the stresses it brings. 
He doesn't say that we'll never endure out-and-out attacks. We may indeed be called upon to face calamities of all sorts, but he does say that we need not fear these things. As we'll see in a moment, they really have no power over us. I want to stop for a minute, though, at verse 7 and its apparent promise of escaping death, even as others around us fall. Scriptures are clear that some of the greatest followers of God were martyred for their faith. They did not escape death. Acts 4 records that Stephen, for example, was actually killed because of his witness for Christ. Surely he could have said, well, wait a minute. What about the 10,000 may fall at your side, but it will not come near you? Hebrews 11, 32 onwards, tells us that many who believed in God have suffered unspeakable things. It says there, and what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised, since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. We need to ask ourselves, these people, they suffered, but in the end, What did they really lose? They received God's commendation and they'll be part of his kingdom when his plan is totally revealed. They gained everything. The psalmist makes a bold statement here in verse 9 to 10. He says that if you have made God your refuge, though you may indeed face hardship and trial in this life, Ultimately, in the end, no harm will overtake you. No real disaster will come near your tent. Like the believers listed in Hebrews 11, your dwelling place in God is secure. You're eternally safe, irrespective of what might happen to you in the flesh. The Apostle Paul put it this way in Romans 8, 35-39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, 
For your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So let's go back to Psalm 91. In verse 11, the psalmist then gives us a glimpse into the unseen realm to explain why he was so sure of this ultimate protection. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways, They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Angels are very misunderstood today. They're either dismissed outright or they're made into figures little better than genies or fairy godmothers. The book of Hebrews describes God's angels as ministering spirits who serve those who will inherit salvation. They are real and powerful. Every person in scripture who saw an angel fell on their face in fear and trembling. I love to think that God has commanded these powerful beings to surround us and to protect us. We actually do have guardian angels. And if you still are not convinced about this truth, remember that these very verses about angels were used by Satan to tempt Christ in the wilderness in Matthew chapter 4, verses 5 through 7. And the Lord did not say that they were false. Psalm 91 verse 13 lets us in on a final reason for confidence. We are promised victory against our enemy. The psalmist writes, You will tread on the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. Scripture describes Satan as both a lion and a serpent. First Peter tells us to be watchful because your adversary, the devil, walks about as a roaring lion seeking those he may devour. Revelation 12 verse 19 refers to him as that serpent of old who is called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. How wonderful to know that we win in the end, that we will trample the great lion and the serpent, our formidable enemy, because we stand firm in the Lord who has already overcome him. As Jesus said to his disciples in John 16 verse 33, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And as the disciple John would later say in his letter known as 1 John, in 1 John chapter 5 verse 5, Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. 
Something changes then in Psalm 91 verse 14. Up to this point, the psalmist has been speaking, describing the beauties of dwelling in the secret place of God. But in verse 14, God himself speaks about the one who trusts in him, saying, Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call on me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. The promises to us in these closing verses of Psalm 91 are so powerful. God says that he will rescue those who love him, freeing us from death and the slavery of sin. He will protect those who acknowledge his name. In other words, he pledges himself to be that refuge, that fortress, that mother hen, that shield, that rampart, that commander of guardian angels and victor over the enemy. He doesn't hesitate to take that responsibility on himself because he loves those who trust him. He will respond when they call on him. I cannot tell you how much that particular line meant to me as I prayed in my distress recently, knowing that God promises to answer us when we call. We just give up too quickly, and we really shouldn't. He will be with us when we're in trouble, no matter what it is. We will not have to face our afflictions alone. He will not only deliver us and bring us to safety, but he will give us honor in the sight of God and man. Our faith will be vindicated before the world. He will satisfy us with an abundant life. And most of all, he'll show us his salvation receiving us into his presence for all eternity. We will have all this because we have taken refuge in him and made him our dwelling place. He says so, and he will never go back on his word. So as we close today, let's pray using this very psalm. Father God, thank you that you say whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Lord, we say of you that you are our refuge and our fortress, our God in whom we trust, and you promise to save us, Lord God. You say that you cover us with your feathers and that under your wings we will find refuge. Lord, thank you that your faithfulness will be our shield and rampart. We will not fear, though there is terror at night, though arrows may fly during the day, though pestilence may stalk in the darkness and plague may destroy at midday. Lord, if we say that you are our refuge, you promise that no harm will overtake us, no disaster will come near our tent, that you will command your angels concerning us to guard us in all our ways, that they will lift us up in their hands. Lord, you've promised that we will tread on the lion and the cobra and that one day we will trample the great lion and the serpent. 
Lord, because we love you, you've promised to rescue us, protect us. More than that, Lord, you promise that when we call on you, you'll answer us. As we bring our troubles before you, Lord, we pray that you would answer. We thank you, Lord, that you hear us and that you've promised to answer. Lord, you've said that you'll be with us in trouble, that you'll deliver us and that you will give us abundant life. Lord, thank you that in Jesus Christ we have salvation and we belong to you. And as your children, you will defend us. Thank you, Father God. In Jesus' precious name, amen and amen. Thank you for listening to In the Word with Michelle Telfer. Join us next week as we continue our study from God's Word, the Bible. Michelle's messages are also available on all major podcast platforms and on her website at intheword.com.